This is the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. And away we go with the Bob Olin Show on a Tuesday, the 29th of August. Bob, it's September already at the end of this week. I just can't believe that. We do have a short summer, don't we? Yeah, they certainly go by fast, that's for sure. See, that's for sure. you got to enjoy everything. I've, yeah. I've often thought because uh, we pay our dues as those long, long winners uh, <laughs> that we should declare just a few uh, everybody take the day off days and go out there and enjoy it uh, a little bit while we have it. Don't you think, Dave? I like that. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> Let's go with that. Work on it is funny though we had we had a pretty glorious uh, summer in many many days uh hot and dry for many of us uh, wherever we're growing and i still think we're about four inches below uh average in terms of precipitation is that about right uh 4.35 actually from uh, january 1st until now we're 4.35 below average and of course we had plenty of snow coming in there yeah. so most of that the drought has occurred during the growing season now some people have got just loads of rain, and I know as we move farther north into your listing area, our listing area in northern St. Louis County, there were areas there where they had so much rain they were, weren't getting the hay crop up, and they were worried about disease on their tomatoes and other things. But for most of us, but been pretty warm, pretty dry, and I guess it's going to be warm again coming up here. Is that correct, Dave? Yeah, the weekend's looking to be in the 80s every day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, even Monday. So a little bit of a heat wave this weekend, but no measurable precipitation again. No, once again, no measurables, and we would actually like to get some of that coming into the fall. So folks that have got newly planted perennial material, whether it's, uh, you know, we we kind of break that down into woody perennial material, that's trees and shrubs, or herbaceous, which is your flowering uh, perennial uh, flowers. Uh, if they were planted this year, you want to make sure that there's extra moisture for them because uh, we never know if we have an open winter and the plants aren't fully hydrated, then that can be very, very difficult. So we can have a lot of winter injury. After a year or two, once they get established, we're not nearly as concerned. We've got a good root system. It's down where there's, and I'm not sure if there's plenty of water down there or not. There was in the spring because of the, the snow melt we had, but uh, I'm sure that's been depleted too. But perennial material that's been around for a while isn't going to have any trouble, and you don't need to uh, be too concerned about moisture. But certainly anything that you planted this year or maybe two years, uh, I'd definitely make sure we get a little additional water that coming into the fall here. So that's all helpful. Again, we want them to gradually slow down, so you don't want to apply any fertility. People ask that question because we're fertilizing in the lawns in the fall, and we're coming to Labor Day weekend. You know, I say if there are two big lawn care holidays for us, it's going to be Memorial Day in the spring and Labor Day in the fall. Labor Day in the fall here is when you can really think about uh, putting some fertility down if you're going to make one application for your lawn. And, you know, lawns, it's at one time they were completely manicured, weed-free. Now we've kind of gone to no-mow maize and other things where we're trying to accept uh, flowering material in the lawn so that we've got a food source for all of our pollinating insects. But nonetheless, uh, lawns, uh, particularly our common bluegrass, they need some fertility. They need uh, nitrogen, and we have low-nitrogen soils. This isn't the uh, cornfields of southern Minnesota or Iowa where we've got those real deep, lich rich loams where there's a lot of fertility that was deposited over the years, there you can get away and go along without any additional fertility. Here we've got lighter soils. Uh, we don't have the organic matter. It wasn't deposited over time. So if you want a nice lawn, we're going to have to get a little additional fertility to that. And, um, you know, you, you don't want to apply them if it's going to be hot and dry. You want to apply 
uh, a commercial fertilizer just before it begins to rain. Same thing with an organic. Organics hold a little bit, but uh, a commercial fertilizer, a granule, something you're buying in the bag there, uh, that's going to denitrify. Nitrogen came down from the air, was fixed, put in those pellets, and it will be released for the plant material if there's rain. If there isn't rain, it denitrifies, sits on the soil surface, and you lose some of that um, some of that fertility back to the air where it came from. So you want to make sure you're either going to put it down within 24 hours, let's say, of a rain, or uh, you're going to water it in or irrigate one way or another so we get that nitrogen carried down in the root zone. In the case of grass, which is the only place we're going to be applying fertility, we don't want it on the trees, don't want it on the shrubs, don't want any, anything that's preparing for winter. But the grass plant's a little different. It's got these rhizomes that work their way out. They're going to be the blade tissue. The green portion isn't picking up the nitrogen, but these underground um, the stolons right out, run right on the surface. The rhizomes run uh, right below the surface, and this is stem tissue, and this is bulking up in the fall. It's taking that nitrogen and it's thickening your lawn up, and you'll see the benefits later in, in, in the fall, and you'll see the benefits certainly in the winter. And this, in the case of grass plant, is what helps it get through the winter. So thinking about um, never typically before the end of August, but now um, August and into September when the plants are still actively growing is when you want to make that that one application of nitrogen for your lawn. Not a bad idea, inexpensive, and it'll... it'll uh, pay big dividends coming forward for you. So there's an activity to think about for the, uh, you know, not the, we, you want you to have a nice Labor Day. <laughs> you work hard. You, you don't want to have to work. You want to keep your landscape fun. But if there's one activity that you might want to think about coming in here over, over the next week or so with a little fertility for the lawn just before rain. Okay, All right, Bob, we got a caller already this morning. Hi, who's this? Hi, my name is Debbie. Go ahead, Debbie. I am wondering about some plants I have in my perennial garden, and um, particularly my bee balm. And then there's a, another plant also that, looking it up, it, it must be some sort of mold or fungus on the leaves because their leaves have turned silver. And so in reading, it, it looks like there are some things you can apply or you can just let it be. And my feeling is with it being the end of the season, let it be and then uh, do something with the ground in the spring? Okay, really good question because what you've got more than likely is powdery mildew. Now yep. we get people a little confused. It's not a downy mildew, so we've got a couple of mildews out there. Mildew, in this case, refers to a fungal disease. What you're seeing in all that silvery material, you're seeing the, the reproductive tissues, the spores that are beginning to form. Uh, powdery mildew, we never saw much of this before, but when we get warm, dry summers, we're beginning to see more and more of that. It's been very prevalent farther south. It's uh, kind of nonspecific, so it'll go from your monarda to other uh, thin-leafed uh, or, um, ornamental tissue, uh, not typically on something like your sedums where you've got a nice, thick, juicy leaf, but it's on the thinner leaf material. So we see it on... In the vegetable garden, we also see the same thing on um, squash, typically winter squash or our pumpkin plants. So it's uh, it's late in the year. Most of your perennials have set a lot of the sugars already. It definitely, anytime you've got disease like that that's attacking the tissue and the chlorophyll, it's definitely impacting the plant. But so much of the plant's growth is over at this particular time. 
You know, I would uh, with you. I I wouldn't don't think it's at all appropriate to provide or or uh, supply any type of a fungicide. It's a, it's a fungal disease, of course. Anytime you see the expression of a fungal disease, and that's what you're seeing here. In other words, it's in the tissue. It's it's well developed. It's already setting spores. It's in its reproductive phase. At this point, a fungicide isn't going to do any good for you at all anyway. So, um, you know, and we don't know what's going to come next year. If we had an idea we were going to have the same problem, you wanted to keep the impression of the fall, and there are a number of fungicides which could be applied, but they would have had to go on, a, on about a month ago when the plant tissue, when you can't even see the problem. So next year, you, if you really felt... Um, if you really felt that it was very important for you to keep that beautiful into the fall, then I'm thinking maybe about the end of July, uh, there are some fungicides that could go on when the plant tissue was healthy. It sets up the it sets up the outer layer of cells so that it can resist uh, the spores that are blowing in the wind. So what happened this year? There was no no resistance. The spores are out in the wind. It attacks the tissue. Uh, the fungi. Uh, begins to germinate, the spores germinate, and they run through this lower layer of tissue. So a fungicide protects that tissue, so the spores are always going to be there, but it prevents it from getting into the plant tissue. Your your plants are already infected. It it will not impact the overall health of the uh, the plants. They're going to make it through the winter just fine, but um, I don't think there's much you can do about it at this point. Does that help a little bit? It, it it certainly does. So with what I'm hearing that you said, in the springtime, I really don't need to worry about putting anything on these plants, wait until more mid to end of July, correct? Yeah, I think that um, right now the first thing, and I'm sorry, I sometimes I get a little wordy in what I'm trying to explain here. But <laughs> That's okay. At this particular time, you could apply all the fungicide you wanted to do absolutely no good. So we're not going to do anything this year. If you wanted okay. to prevent it next next year, uh, it has to go on when the tissue is healthy. And because uh, okay. the fungicides you can buy over the counter break down quickly, we don't want to put it on in the spring. But uh, prevent this particular disorder, powdery mildew attacks later in the year. So your application would be uh, toward the end of July, and that will help prevent uh, the infection for next year. But you might not get it at all either. I would say this, there are spores there, so as you come into the fall, it, it would be a good idea to clean up all that infected plant tissue and get it off-site. And uh, if you're in Duluth, you could, uh, you know, the sanitary district composts very well with a hot compost pile, so they don't mind taking some of this material. They want organic material, so don't put construction or debris or anything else that's going down to their woody plant material that they're going to turn into compost. But the good composters, that will destroy this tissue. If you're a good composter, you can clean it all up and get it in deep into your compost pile. But if you don't feel you run a hot compost pile or don't have a compost pile, let's not just let it sit by the side of the garden because you're not destroying any of this plant tissue and any of the spores that will be back next year. So clean it up. Uh, Live with it this year. Uh, You had a good growing season. It attacked late in the year. It's not a... Not one of these real aggressive fungi that will get into the plant and run into the roots and into the stem. So it's not going to be a major problem for the health of the plant. It's just rather unsightly later in the year like this. Okay? Okay, that is great to know because that was my other question. Should I, you know, get rid of them this fall? And I will. I I appreciate that. I definitely would. 
Uh, I would get it off-site is what I'm saying, deep into a compost pile or off your property so that you don't accumulate all these spores for reinfection next year. There you go. Okay. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. We're coming up on 929. Bob, we'll take a break and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show. All right, Bob, we have got an email question uh, this morning. This is from uh, Barb. Uh, let's see. Uh, I have a problem with both cucumbers and tomatoes. My cucumbers have a big round cucumbers at one end and a tail at the other. I planted straight eight. I'm not sure what that means. My tomatoes started out robust, but now look wimpy. I do have several tomatoes, but not a lot. Planted celebrity and sweet 100. What's wrong? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not just chuckling because I share misery, but I. Ah. The, the one, it, it's kind of interesting. First, she's got crops that everybody likes to grow there, cucumbers. And uh, people that have attended any of my sessions know that I have a bias against straight eight. Uh, people love them. It's not a bad cucumber. It does not have any disease resistance in it. Oh. And it, it's always going to be uh, with us because it's, uh, it's what we call a line cultivar. That means it's not hybridized. Uh, they grow the the fruit out, they strip the seeds, and they dry them down and repackage them. So it's very inexpensive to produce, and consequently, and they can get full price for it from the uninformed. So consequently, you're always going to see it as a as a cug, as a seed pack. In many years, it'll perform well enough for you, but it is very vulnerable to any number of diseases. We can take one step forward. There are so many other varieties out there that have uh, some kind of a disease package. So disease is always an issue with cucumbers. Let's move into, uh, uh, you know, any number of, uh, of other varieties that we could go over uh, for slicing cukes that are going to uh, have some kind of a disease package that's been hybridized into this. But that being said, now I talked about disease in straight eight. That's the main, my main beef with it. I'd rather not run the risk of having a major scab is the big problem that hits disease. Or the straight eight, but this isn't her problem. Uh, her problem is moisture regularity. When you get that kind of malformed fruit, you get a surge of water at one time, you hit a ra- heavy rain, then it goes dry, and then this tissue stops forming. So that is just a question of moisture regularity. Ideally, we'd like consistent moisture, and if it doesn't come from the heavens, then you want some kind of a form of irrigation. Talk about disease being a big issue. You want to get the water not on the leaf tissue. You want to get it down below so that we don't encourage fungal disease. Or if you don't have any other way to do that, you're going to come in with an overhead sprinkler or overhead irrigation of one type or another. It goes on in the morning on a bright day like this. So that tissue dries down before the temperatures get cool at night, which encourage cool, moist conditions on the leaves at night are very conducive to fungal disease of, of all types. So... Uh, watering consistently. Now, the tomatoes is another question because we're seeing we're seeing a great deal of variability in tomatoes. Uh, you know, I grow a lot of them myself, and I work with lots of people. It's the number one crop, so I get all kinds of emails and photos of things that are happening all over the place. Mm-hmm. And man, it's all over the place this year. I've seen tremendous yields. I've seen very limited yields. The one thing I am not seeing a lot of this year at this point is our most common fungal tomato disease. That's because of the drier conditions that we've had. So that is a very good sign. So we don't have a lot of early blight. Last year we saw late blight, which is very devastating. I'm not seeing any symptoms of that yet this year. 
And so many of these fungal diseases are really temperature and moisture dependent. And uh, the spores typically are always there. If we get the right kind of conditions, we get the disease. So we're not seeing a lot of disease. We are seeing um, very delayed ripening in some situations. And then we're seeing very accelerated uh, ripening in other situations. So some people are having very good yields. As a matter of fact, uh, to get a high, high yield, and she's starting with uh, two good varieties. There's Celebrity's been with us, and it's one that's on my recommended list. It consistently performs quite well for us, uh, but she's having some difficulty with that. Sweet 100 is a great cherry tomato, uh, very productive. That's on our list as well. So it's um, these are good varieties. So she's got a good start there. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get bountiful fruit that's going to ripen on time. We've got plenty of season left, incidentally. Yeah. We hopefully we're not going to get a, a severe frost at least till the end of September. In some cases, many cases, it's early October in this area. So we got another good four weeks. If you've got fruit on those plants that are beginning to turn, they go to uh, uh, from a deep green into a lighter green. That's all going to ripen for you. We'd like to keep them on the on the plants to ripen if we can because that's where we're building sugars and there's a big difference in taste there's a big difference in vine ripened we can always ripen the fruit if it started to mature we can ripen it by bringing it inside but again we've stopped that sugar production we're going to have to live with the sugars that have been set earlier in the year so we want to leave them on the plant we want to keep the plant as healthy as we can um, don't be discouraged if you've got fruit that's set beginning to turn. You're going to get some nice yields. I think we're going to overall, when the season gets done, have a real bountiful tomato crop for most people. And I've got them in my own plantings all over the place. Uh, I've had some tremendous growth uh, where I, I was conscious of the moisture, so I think I might have been a little managed a little bit too well because I had a lot of vegetative growth, plenty of fruit set, but um, you get vegetative growth the heat and the water that I was providing, and then you get a delayed fruit set. A lot of fruit, in my case, it's it's taking its time during, but it, it is moving along pretty nicely. So it's all been uh, temperature dependent. It's been, uh, you know, obviously she's got the right varieties, so good tomatoes, we want good varieties. We want enough nutrition early in the season. We don't want to over-fertilize. And um, you may not want to overwater. I think actually that was one of my mistakes, being too careful about supplying everything those plants needed because I was hot and dry, but I got a little bit more vegetative growth than I would have liked. With a long season, that isn't bad because I've got a tremendous amount of fruit set. I could just get it all ripe if I, if I can. So I'm preparing, and anyone that has that same situation, uh, get some sheets, get some what we call remay. Get through that first frost because uh, you still can have a tremendous crop coming forward. Don't see a lot of disease. We're seeing a little de 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 deterioration, lower leaves, various places. But uh, most of you are going to be very happy with the tomatoes you get, I think, but it may be delayed just a little bit. So stay with what you've got. There are so many variables that come into play, but I think I think she's going to be okay. She eliminated one of the variables with uh, good varieties there, but uh, so much of this is going to be uh, moisture, temperature, night and day temperature dependent. Blossom sets important. Fertilization is important. A lot of that is really driven by the type of season that we're, we're having, and that's kind of much out of our control. Long answer, but uh, stay yeah. with it. Basically, she's going to be okay. She'll get good uh, good yield off those plants yet. That's the okay. email question. Now let's go to the phones and get another question. Hi, who's this? This is 
Barb. Uh, you just answered my question. Oh, great. I, except, except that I came in in the middle of the cucumber one, and I don't <laughs> understand about the big ball at the end and oh, yeah. one tail at the other end. Okay, that was moisture irregularity. That's not a disease function. The variety she had is very vulnerable to a disease called scabies, but what she has is a uh, malformed fruit. And there was a flush of water. Maybe there was rain as the fruit was setting. We had a, one of these rainfall events, and that pushed the far end of the, the uh, plant with lots of rain, and then it dried down. So we didn't we didn't finish the development of the fruit, so it wasn't uniform. So we get around that with consistent moisture. If you have a heavy rain event, be conscious of the fact that you're going to have to follow up with some additional irrigation if it gets dry to, to make sure that you've got yeah. uniform tissue development of that fruit. So that was I always water that. in the morning, and I watered about every other day, and it's that's what I end up with. You might, uh, believe it or not, if you've got a heavier soil, that may be too much moisture. So oh. that, that, can, that can occur, too, where we've got... Um, uh, we want consistent moisture. We want the moisture to be available. But if you've got uh, heavier soil, a clay, it isn't a sand, or it's a, a clay loam, a loamy soil, or a soil with organic, and we're watering every second day, we've got so much water that actually that breaks down some of the root tissue. So, and then you're getting the same kind of irregular, irregularity. So it is definitely moisture-related, your situation. It might be too much. So we typically will say if you've got a heavier soil, if you've got light sand, sandier soil, then you're going to get away with watering every second day. But uh, if you've got a little heavier soil, that's too much moisture, believe it or not. So, again, you're killing the kindness, kind of like what I did with some of my tomatoes, a little bit too much water than what they needed. So, But I got good vegetative growth out of it. Well, I put manure down and then garden soil on top of that. Okay, you're, that you're holding in that process. You are holding a lot of uh, you're holding a lot of moisture. That organic is uh, is holding a lot of moisture in that manure, and that's probably too much moisture. So, oh. oftentimes, oftentimes once a week, a thorough watering once a week is going to be better than watering every second day. If you have a question, get your finger out there, and and if it isn't dry, if you're not you're in an inch and a half or two inches with your index finger and it's still moist you've got plenty of water uh tomatoes we want to drive roots down deep into the soil profile we can keep roots near the surface by watering uh very frequently so we, we want to water very thoroughly very infrequently we want those roots to get down there and chase the water water that's deeper into the soil profile Okay, thank you. I think that's what occurred there. (laughs) Thanks for the question. Appreciate it. We'll take another break. We're coming up at 942, the Bob Boland Show here on KDAO. Final week of August here, the Bob Olin Show at 943 on the 29th of August. Bob, I'm guessing there's a whole lot of produce coming into the farmer's market here over the last week or so. Oh, very definitely. We got the tables full, and uh, (laughs) it's just, uh, it's, and very, uh, it's been a bountiful year. You had to manage water. You had to manage a few other things. But if you got around some of that, it's producing some, just some wonderful crops and warm season crops. So we are getting tomatoes. We're getting eggplant. We're getting some corn. We're getting lots of wow. lots of real good, uh, real good warm season crop products out there. So, and it's only going to get better from now uh, through mm-hmm. September. This is the peak of the season. Lots of prayer, lots of fresh product coming in. We've got lots of farmers markets. We associated with the farmers market, the original uh, farmers market in Duluth when. Everything was local, 
And uh, because there wasn't, we weren't trucking a lot of things around at that time, nothing was coming in from uh, the Salinas Valley in California. So everything was local, and that market was built in 1908, and the original structure is still there. I, I don't know, of course. I didn't know any of the farmers that built it originally, but uh, they put up a pretty solid structure, solid enough so they could move it a couple of times, saw it in half, and been at a couple of different locations. But I believe at 14th Avenue East and 3rd Street, uh, been there at least uh, for the last 30, 40 years, something like that. So uh, it's always fun. We have a good time. It's about community. It's about really community connection. Uh, we, we love the families. We uh, feel very good about the fact that there's a nice, very, very wholesome atmosphere. We're trying to encourage better nutrition. All the science is telling us stay away from processed food, go back, get, make sure you get the natural products, uh, whether it's meat, eggs, which we've got vendors there, or, or good, fresh produce. Uh, get na- consume natural foods, and this is uh, going to do a, a great uh, go a great deal to help improve your health. We want that on young people, of course, because we have a processed food supply, lots of sugars, fat, and salt. Uh, we've uh, gone another direction, so we want to go back to some of the more natural. We're trying to really encourage this, and we think based on the turnout and the young people we have joining us, young people right up through college students, now they're coming back to school, uh, they're preparing their own first meals, and we see this all the time where many of them never prepared any food at all. It's all been processed. It's been microwaved. Someone's done it for them, and they find themselves putting in a household with their roommates and having to cook for the first time. And that's always a real interesting uh, phenomenon when you see four people standing in front of you that have never prepared it potato and want some help and how you boil water. <laughs> I'm being a little facetious here, but hey. not facetious about the fact that people have not we've drifted away from um, our own food preparation. Prepare it yourself. It's going to be very nutritious. You do it right, it's going to taste better than anything that's uh, processed for you. So there you go. Duluth Farmer's Market uh, Wednesday afternoons coming up here tomorrow, 2 to 5, and then Saturdays 8 until noon. Uh, wherever the fresh produce comes from, we're really about uh, trying to work with people to help them uh, improve their diets a little bit. That'll help everybody's health and the health of the community. Dude. All right. Back to the phones we go. Hi, who's this? Hello. I guess they didn't want to talk. <laughs> they hung on for a while, but then hung up when it was time to go. Huh. Gives me a real chance. We've had a lot of questions that have been water-related here, yeah. Dave, and I just want to share a couple couple things here so it isn't too confusing for people uh consistent water is very important for plants for the for good fruit set we talked about the deformities in the fruit too much too little water irregular watering and also a phenomenon called blossom end rot now blossom end rot far into your tomatoes people typically see it there but we see it on cucumbers we see it on zucchini and it's not a disease issue it's uh it's what we call a physiological disorder. In other words, the plant tissue is broken down because it hasn't gotten consistent water. It hasn't gotten consistent calcium in the case of uh, blossom end rot. So we can have plenty of calcium in the soil, but it wasn't delivered out to the far, the distal, the blossom end of the fruit. And that tissue just breaks down because the nutrition wasn't there. So you get a big black spot, cut it off, and still slice those tomatoes up for your BLTs. Obviously, it's the, the tissue is broken down. You're not going to put that in anything. You're going to freeze or can. You're not going to use it at all. But it's not disease. Just cut it off and, and make good use of it. How do you avoid it? And uh, you got to make sure you got the calcium, particularly if you're growing in uh, what we call peat or peat light mixes. Um, you've got a, a container. Uh, you're growing them in a pail or something like that. Your tomatoes on your deck. 
and you're buying potting soil, those typically do not have the calcium. So you're going to have to enrich that with some calcium. If it's down on the ground, we typically have got plenty of calcium, but we may not be getting it there because, again, our our watering has not been consistent. Water is so important consistently. All the commercial people of a larger scale that I know have got water meters. They've got what we call potentiometers, which give them a feed, a readout exactly where the moisture level is. So they're going to be irrigating when it's dry. They're going to be improving uh, the drainage when it's when it's wet. So actually, we try to do this on a limited basis. Uh, I tell you, your your water meters, your index finger. Um, but uh, commercially, it's so important that they actually monitor the water that's down in the soil. They want nice, consistent moisture, not too much, not too little, because uh, it all determines the quality of the fruit that you're producing. All right. The old finger test. It's uh, the old finger tried test. and true. Our, our, right. uh, the poor man's uh, water meter, <laughs> the poor man's potentiometer. All right. Our sounds good. Test. Bob, we'll take another break and be right back. 9.50 now at KDAL. All right, Bob, we talked about the no-mow May. It's been a no-mow August for me. I think I've mowed the lawn once so far this month, and it's not really growing much even now, but it probably could use one more mow. Yeah, you know, and we don't uh, – maybe that's just that's just fine, certainly. And, of course, uh, the grass is going to grow a little slower now. Day length, of course, is going down, which I guess after, for some people, a very hot summer, mm-hmm. I saw an interesting phenomenon. I was uh, – a tourist that coming in town was out on Brighton Beach and had a, a stocking cap on it. Oh, boy. And, you know, we, we live in those about seven or eight months out of the year, but I thought this was a little early. She just laughed and she chuckled. She said she'd come up from the cities where it was 99 degrees. Oh, right. And, and she said this was a, such a shock to her that she was actually cold. It was about 60 degrees that day along the shore. <laughs> but she had a big woolly stocking cap on here in the middle of August. So, we have been pretty fortunate. We hear about this heat wave that hit a little bit farther mm-hmm. south, and we haven't had that. We've got a warm weekend coming up, but not excessively. 80s, is that right, Dave? Yeah, it could be upper 80s. May see a 90 even on Sunday, it looks like. Boy, that's warm. Yeah, for uh, this time you know, of year especially. Kind of <laughs> yeah, around here this time of year, yes. Um, we are seeing, uh, of course, uh, you know, I get this question, we're seeing the leaves begin to turn a little oh, bit. Oh, boy. You kind of have mixed emotions about I do because we yeah. know what's coming. But some people love fall, so they're looking <laughs> forward to this. And, uh, you know, those fall colors, uh, what are we going to get? Well, it's a little does depend on the bright sunlight at this time of year and evening temperatures being a little cooler. Now, you've got the morning temperatures. I don't know if you've, you've got a record. Are we going to cool down at night? Do you got any idea there, Dave? Well, let's see. Tonight will be upper 40s, low 50s tomorrow night, around 60 on Thursday night. And let's see, when we're in the 80s over the weekend, the lows will be in the low 60s. Oh, see, that's not too bad. No. Actually, what we want is we can take the now we're talking about developing color for the fall right now. Right. This is the anthocyanin and these red pigments. The carotenoids, the yellow ones, kind of are consistent. But we really need uh, bright sun and then cooler temperatures at night so we don't destroy all of the sugars that we produce during the day. So that isn't so bad. We're getting those cooler temperatures at night. I think that'll, uh, that could uh, bright temperatures during the day. Mm-hmm. Those are overcast days. Uh, I think that that might set us up for some good color coming into the fall because we're setting some more of these pigments right now at this time while we still have green leaf tissue out there. So 
That's not a bad prescription. If that continues, uh, we might really have a very, very vivid fall. Peak fall color, of course, in this area is toward the end of September, early October. So we've got a month here to set up some good pigments <laughs> while there's still green tissue, and that combination uh, sounds pretty good to me, Dave. I suppose the amount of daylight has something to do with the change, too, and we're certainly losing a lot of daylight uh, over the last couple of days. Well, what happens is the chlorophyll, the green pigment, begins yeah. to break down, and then ultimately it will reveal the underlying anthocyanins, the, the red and orange pigments that are there. So the, the daylight breaking down, the green is going to go away, but while we've still got green tissue, we want these bright days, cool nights, and that's what's actually setting up uh, the the real vivid fall colors, the reds and the purples and so forth, the anthocyanins. So we got a little ways to go, but the chlorophyll definitely, as the daylight goes, will break down, and then it will express or reveal what's underneath. Right now, that green tissue is still setting up uh, those uh, those pigments for us. Okay? All right, Bob, you'll be able to do some gardening at night because we got a big old super full moon. Uh, coming up here at the end of the month. And uh, it's also a, a blue moon because it's the second full moon this month. So uh, yeah, it's closer to Earth than usual, and I'm it's going gonna... to be big, and we got clear skies in the forecast, so it should be nice. Wow. What day is that going to be again, Dave? Uh, I think it's the end. It's either tomorrow night and then again on Thursday night, I would imagine, for the full moon. And clear sky. we got to make sure yeah, we pretty much clear sure sky, yeah. And... And observe that one, because mm-hmm. uh, they can be magnificent. That sounds like, you mean I won't have to garden under my headlamps? I'll have no, you'll have plenty of uh, natural light there from the moon. <laughs> I'm in favor. That sounds great. All right. Bob, uh, we'll wrap things up again. Give uh, people a chance to uh, stop by the farmer's market tomorrow and again on Saturday. Absolutely. Uh, two to five on Wednesday, uh, eight till noon on Saturday, right. and we're always there. You, this is the market where you get to talk to the grower. So this right. is not a fur market where someone else grew it in Arizona. This is about <laughs> local product. You get to talk to the grower. We're happy to answer people's questions as well. And quite a sampling. Okay. How many uh, How many farmers involved now? We have a total of about uh, 22 in the market. Wow. So it's, it's a pretty big group. Uh, some are doing other things, making jams, jellies, sure. all kinds of things, cheese and meat <laughs> eggs and um you know, so they're not all necessarily vegetable growers, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. we've got a nice collection of different uh, different folks that are bringing all locally produced product, all within 40 miles of Duluth. So it's all uh, it's all good. Fantastic, Bob. As usual, thank you. We'll catch you again next Tuesday. You bet. Thanks for our callers too. Some very good questions that uh, that really, I think there are a lot of other listeners may have had the same kind of uh, difficulties. So. It's, it's right. good. Thanks for the interaction. Thanks for people that call in. You bet. We'll check the weather forecast that's coming up next.